0: Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver. Today, not a lot because the boxing um, that occurred this past weekend was damn near non-existent. There was a Showtime showbox card fr- Friday night, a uh, Joseph Adorno won a solid victory but those fights really didn't do anything to spark conversation i mean they were decent fights but i'm not gonna waste the listeners time today talking about those fights because today this is basically the canelo alvarez show because today not only am i going to preview the third fight between canelo and Gennady Golovkin, Triple G, that's going to occur this Saturday night in Las Vegas on the zone pay per view. I will also read my historical bio that I wrote on fightgamemedia.com last year on Canelo, as he's my 24th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. And coincidentally, today, on the eve of his fight versus Triple G, his third fight, we happen to have his bio scheduled to be read. Number 24, Canelo, Saul Canelo Alvarez. So I'll be doing the bio on him. I will give my rundown of what I believe will happen Saturday night between Canelo and Triple G in their third and hopefully final fight against each other. But before I get to that, I'm going to do a Q&A session. And For you for those of you who want to want me to answer your boxing questions or questions on life questions on sports Questions on anything you want to throw at me. It just doesn't have to be boxing Hashtag ask Rob Silver on Twitter now on to the question and answer session. Let me go to my Twitter feed This will be brief. I only have two questions, but they will both be very thorough questions I mean, I will, I will give very thorough answers to both questions. And here we go. We start with Brother Malcolm. Uh, Brother Malcolm, I appreciate you, uh, Big Malcolm. You always, always, not Brother Malcolm, Big Malcolm. Big Malcolm, you always give very thoughtful questions. And this is no exception. Big Malcolm asks, who were your favorite fighters to have never won a world title? I'm going to give you five because I have time today to talk. I'm going to give you five. Last week, I I did a tribute, a historical overview of Ernie Shavers' career. Ernie Shavers, one of my five favorite fighters never to win a world title. He gave the two greatest heavyweights of all time, that's according to my father. My father, when he was alive, felt that the two greatest heavyweights he ever saw were Muhammad Ali and Larry Holmes. Ernie Shavers almost knocked out both men to become heavyweight champion of the world. And I talked about it thoroughly on last week's episode. For those who haven't heard it, go back to the archives to last week's episode. I give a thorough rundown of Ernie Shaver's incredible performances against Ken Norton. He knocked him out in the first round. Muhammad Ali, he barely, barely lost to Muhammad Ali. Ali had to put on probably the last greatest round of his career in a 15th round, in which he almost knocked Ernie out. But up until that point, Ernie had staggered Muhammad several times. Went that spectacular right cross. Ernie Shavers. Ernie. And right there. Ernie Shavers. And of course, his 1979 war with Larry Holmes in which he caught Larry Holmes with a picture-perfect right cross in the seventh round. And Larry got up before the referee started counting. It showed... According to my father, and I agree with my father, the intestinal fortitude that Muhammad Ali and Larry Holmes have. And, and if you look at today's heavyweight landscape, Tyson Fury has. Tyson Fury twice almost got decapitated by Deontay Rother's right hand, which is the only one on Ernie Shaver's level, that right cross in the history of heavyweight division. Tyson Fury got up both times to win against Deontay. Well, one fight was a draw. The other fight, he uh, obliterated uh, Deontay Wilder after getting up from a right hand that would have ended most careers. (laughs) Tyson Fury has that intestinal fortitude that Ali and Larry Holmes had. And what separates a Larry Holmes and a Muhammad Ali from a Michael Mora. Michael Mora got hit by a right cross by George Foreman and didn't get up. Let that have been Larry. Well, Ali proved when he fought Foreman that he could take it and, and come back. Had that been Holmes or Ali. Well, Ali proved it. If that had been a Larry Holmes, he would have gotten up and beaten George Foreman. Not Michael Mora. That separates the Michael Mora's from the Tyson Furies, Muhammad Ali's, Larry Holmes uh, caliber of fighter. So, Ernie is one of my five Uh. Malcolm. Ejiro Murata. For those who don't know, Ejiro Murata was the first fighter in the history of boxing to have fought to a draw with two sanctioning world champions of the same weight class. Now, in, in the early 80s, 1981, nine, nine, between uh, 1980 and 1982, between 1980 and 1983, Ijiro Morata engaged in four fights: three with Jeff Chandler and one with Lupe Pintor. Lupe Pintor was the WBC bantamweight champion. Jeff Chandler was the WBA bantamweight champion. He fought both Chandler and Pintor in his first two title opportunities to a draw, and you could make you could have made a valid, valid, valid uh. Argument that he won both fights in the history of boxing that was the first time that ever happened It was very hard to do that back then because back then there were only two sanctioning bodies two sanctioning world champions today you have four alleged sanctioning bodies all of them are criminal uh, criminal cartels in my opinion they're all pieces of shit and We should do away with them, but uh the media is involved the boxing media allow and the networks allow these uh criminal organizations to run amok. But that's a story for another day. I've gone on my soapbox about these four criminal organizations over and over again. Anyway, back to Isir Murata. Murata gave both Chandler and to hell, uh got draws in those fights and then he gave Chandler hell two more times before Chandler stopped him late in their second and third fight, and Murata retired with only the two losses to Jeff Chandler shortly after his last fight with Jeff Chandler. Izura Murata in any other era would have been bantamweight champion of the world, except today, because as good as Murata was, his fellow countrymen, Naioa Inoue, would have splattered him all over a Tokyo canvas. So, Ernie Shavers. Ejira Murata, so far two of my five favorite fighters, never to win a world championship. Ike Ibiabuchi is one of the most talented heavyweights that ever lived, and it was his, his juvenile mentality that destroyed his career. He beat David Tua in an epic fight. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never seen this fight, Go sort it out. David Tua versus Ike Ibiabucci, a 12-round war in which both men threw devastating shots, and they both took these shots. It was unreal. Going into that fight, David Tua was looked at as the next Mike Tyson. Ike Ibiabuchi was an unknown commodity. That night, Ike showed the world that not only could he punch, but he could box, and he had All the weaponry that a heavyweight needs to become great. And then, a couple years later, he almost put Chris Bird in a casket. Chris Bird, one of the best defensive fighters of that era. He was a small fighter. He was a small heavyweight. Should have been a cruiserweight. Moved up to heavyweight. He did win a—he twice won a— Heavyweight championship one of the sanctioning Bodies titles, but I never considered him A real champion because the real champion At that point in time was Lennox Lewis It was never Chris Bird Ike Ibiabuchi Destroyed him in five rounds It was a one-sided beating Against the best defensive fighter Of that era in the heavyweight division Shortly after that Ibiabuchi Kidnaps a woman Holds her hostage uh, Rapes her Holds her against her will inside of a hotel room. And he went on to spend several, several years in prison. At the point in time, he was undefeated. And he was a true boogeyman in the division. And in my opinion, he would have been a dominant heavyweight champion in the world. And probably my favorite fighter never to win a world title. Another one, Howard Davis Jr., shout out to my buddy shannon who's from the same hometown as uh howard davis jr and she knew howard and howard's father howard davis died within the last two 18 months to two years died way too young howard davis jr in 1976 at the 1976 summer olympic games in montreal was one of five american boxers to win gold medals that was howard davis Leon and Michael Spinks, the Spinks brothers. Leo Randolph. And the unbelievable, the incomparable. The man is above all others. Sugar Ray Leonard. Raymond Charles Leonard. Ladies and gentlemen, Sugar Ray's parents named him after their idol, Ray Charles. Raymond Charles Leonard was part of that Olympic team. But Howard Davis Jr. won the Val Barker Award in 1976. Ladies and gentlemen, the Val Barker Award is given to the best amateur boxer during that Olympic Games. And in 1976, Howard Davis Jr. won it over all the Cubans that won gold medals that year and over his four American brethren that also won gold medals. Howard Davis had all the talent in the world to be a world champion, and he fell short three times. In 1980, he went to the UK to fight Jim Watt, and he froze. He froze. Now, he said he was getting phone calls at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning by by people claiming, he claimed that People were calling him at 3, 4 in the morning saying that they were going to kill him if he won. Uh, Your N. Ash better not win. And it spooked him. And he looked like a zombie in that fight against Jim Watt for the, for Jim Watt's WBC 135 light, uh, lightweight championship. Howard Davis fought for 15 rounds like a zombie, like a ghost. My father, I was watching this fight, and I was like, that's not the Howard Davis we know. Lost the fight then a few years later he fought edwin rosario and in this fight my father and i was watching this fight this was uh 1984 the summer of 1984 and we were shocked at how great Howard looked. This was the Howard Davis we remembered from, well, my father remembered from the Olympics and what? because I didn't wa- I w- I didn't start watching boxing until 1977. This was the Howard Davis my father remembered from the Olympics, and this was the Howard Davis I saw up and coming as a prospect. He was moving, jabbing, throwing combinations. He gave Rosario hell in an incredible fight, ladies and gentlemen. Another fight that I recommend you guys go see, Howard Davis versus Edwin Rosario, going into the 12th and final round. If I'm not mistaken, and I'm not looking this up, two of the three scorecards had to fight dead even going into the 15th and final round. Or Howard Davis up by a point. E- either Howard Davis up by a point, or the fight was dead even going into the 12th, not 15th, the 12th and final round, because by that point, the WBC had reduced 15-round world title fights or 12-round world title fights. Well, in the 12th round, Howard Davis was dominating, landing combinations, giving it to Rosario, who was exhausted. Then, with scant seconds left in the round, Rosario drops Howard Davis right before the bell rings. Rosario gets a 10-8 round, and he retains his world title with that knockdown, and that really, really broke Howard Davis' heart. Now, my father and I were rooting for Edwin Rosario because he was a fellow black Puerto Rican like us. But, man, Howard fought his ass off that night. And for all intents and purposes, that was it for his career. He gave Meldrick Taylor hell. And uh, up in uh, early in Meldrick's career, uh, fought Meldrick to a draw. And then he got one final title shot late July 1988. Fell form in Master Square Garden. Shannon, this was a fight between two of the greatest fighters ever to come out of your area in Long Island. Buddy McGirt versus Howard Davis Jr. And McGirt decimated Howard Davis, knocking him out in the first round. Howard Davis retired, came back several years later to make an ill-fated comeback. Had no business in the ring. And recently he passed away so howard davis so we've got ike ibi howard davis yura murada and ernie shavers my fifth and final favorite fighter never to be world champion was james the heat kenshin james the heat kenshin was an amazing power punch i mean he was he was uh, uh, as a Middleweight prospect in the mid to late 1980s, he was obliterating one dude after another. Then there was the f- fellow, the, the the fight versus my fellow black Puerto Rican Alex Ramos, in which, and ladies and gentlemen, go look that fight up. Anything I tell you can be verified by watching these fights. Go to YouTube and check out James Kitchen, K-I-N-C-H-E-N, versus Alex Ramos, the Bronx Bomber. Kitchen knocked out. Alex Ramos in one of the most violent knockouts you'll ever see. My father and I were watching this fight, and he was like, "Oh shit, Kitchen is a problem." In November of 1988, James the Heat Kitchen fought Thomas Hearns for the bogus WBO super middleweight championship of the world, and I ain't gonna lie, man. You it, those who have followed this show. That our faithful listeners know that Thomas Hearns is my favorite fighter in the world. James Kitchen should have won that fight. Uh, Hearns was hurt several times, almost knocked out. Had it was it was his intestinal fortitude, his heart that allowed him to survive the twelve rounds. In a great fight, Kitchen versus Hearns is a must is a must see fight. James Kitchen loses what I believe should have been his decision and that was the closest he ever came to becoming a world champion um, he would de- then get a shot at the wba light heavyweight champion virgil hill virgil hill decimated him in the first round and that was the end of kitchen as a serious world title contender so there you go uh big malcolm james the heat kitchen ernie shavers Isuro murata Ike Ibiabuchi and Howard Davis are my five favorite fighters that never won a world title. And now if those five guys would have fought today in this era, there's like 20 titles per division. They would have been a world champion with all these fake bogus ass world titles. But that being said, they they never were world champions. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Now, on to my next question from my fellow Boricua, Jesus, Jesus Salas, and Jesus asks: Let's say Tiafoe Stevenson and Felix Savon decided to go pro in their early twenties. How well do they do versus the best heavyweights of their era? As always, thanks. Philo Stevenson was the greatest heavyweight amateur boxer that ever lived. I remember in 1972, I was broadcasting that night, the Munich Olympics. That was during the time that the Israeli uh, athletes were murdered in a disgraceful act of inhumanity. But one of the highlights of that Debilitating 1972 Olympics, that very tragic Olympics, the highlight, in my opinion, other than Mark Spitz, was Teofilo Stevenson's destruction of heavyweight after heavyweight, including his knockout of American great white Hope Dwayne Bobick. 1976, Teofilo Stevenson. And in 1976, Teofilo Stevenson knocked out John Tate, future heavyweight champion of the world, to win his second consecutive gold medal. And then in 1980, I wasn't broadcasting. The NBC had the Olympic contract, and it was also right After the Soviet Union had invaded Afghanistan. And what did President Carter do? He boycotted the 1980 Olympics. Teofino Stevenson won his third consecutive gold medal. Despite the fact that he didn't have to fight the American opponent. Ladies and gentlemen, it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered. And then... In 1984, 1984, the last time I announced any type of boxing, I announced the 84 Olympic uh, Games, Summer Games, the boxing tournament. But Cuba boycotted the 1984 Olympic Games. Teofilo would have won his fourth consecutive gold medal. Why do I say that? Because just a few months before the Olympics, Stevenson convincingly defeated the eventual Olympic game winner from America, Terrell Biggs. Ladies and gentlemen, Teofilo would have splatted Terrell Biggs' face all over the canvas, even in his late 30s back in 1984. Now, to answer the question Teofilo Stevenson is the greatest. Olympian of all time, don't give me that Vasily Lomachenko bullshit, get the fuck out of here, right? Teofilo Stevenson, in my opinion, was the greatest Olympian of all time. The only one that comes close is Mark Breland. Teofilo Stevenson was beating men young enough to be his son towards the end of his career in 1984. He beat the eventual Olympic gold medalist, and he would have been a gold medalist for the fourth straight year had Cuba not boycotted the 84 Olympics. Now, that's his amateur career. Let's talk about what he could have done in his pro career. Taylor Stevenson was a tall, tall heavyweight. Um, He had a beautiful jab, and he had power in both hands. If he would have come to America in his early 20s and gotten with the right trainer, I think the perfect trainer for him Had he turned pro in 1974, 1975, and Eddie Futch gets his hands on a Teofilo Stevenson, he could turn that amateur style, because Teofilo had a very robotic style in the amateurs. It was the jab, cross, jab, cross, boom. But he was an athletic big man. If, if, Eddie Futch had gotten his hands on him and adapted his amateur style to the pro style. He would have, he would have given once he, if he turns pro seventy four, seventy five, that means by 1977, 1978, 1979, he would be in line to fight a Larry Holmes or Michael Dokes, Mike Weaver, Pinklin Thomas, Tim Witherspoon eventually. I think he beats all those guys except Larry Holmes. Um, Larry Holmes, greatest heavyweight I ever saw with his movement and great heart and almost as tall as Teofilo with that jab. I see Larry beating Teofilo in a tough 15-round fight. But all those other guys, Pinklin Thomas, Tim Witherspoon, Michael Dokes, Greg Page, who he had already beat in the amateurs. Teofilo beats all of them. Um, uh, Jerry Coatsy. So I could easily see Teofilo Stevenson becoming like the WBA champion, but he wouldn't beat the WBC champion, which was Larry Holmes, who dominated the heavyweight division from 1978 to 1985. But Teofilo would have been definitely in the mix and a dangerous fighter for even Larry Holmes had he turned pro and gotten an Eddie futch to be his trainer because in nineteen seventy four and nineteen seventy five emmanuel Stewart had yet to go into the pro world. he was basically an amateur uh trainer at at that time, training the Helma Kenties and Thomas Hearns of the world. It wouldn't be until Thomas turned pro in nineteen seventy seven that Emanuel Stewart would have been a, uh, would, would become a pro trainer, and Emanuel Stewart would have been a great fit for Teofilo. Also, if Teofilo decided to go away from Eddie Futch, Emanuel Stewart would have been a perfect uh, guy to train him in the late 70s. Felix Savone, same scenario. Felix Savon, three-time Olympic gold medalist. He picked up the torch starting in 1988, that had been left behind by Teofilo Stevenson. And he went on to dominate the amateurs and second greatest heavyweight amateur I've ever seen after Teofilo Stevenson and Savone. Who, Felix Savone in the pros would have given Lennox Lewis and Riddick Bo problems. I'm not saying he beats those guys because the, the pro game is much different than the amateur game. But Felix Savon, with that talent and Emmanuel Stewart as his trainer, because let's say Felix Savone let's say Felix Savon in 1991-1992 defects to America, the one guy, the only guy that can train him would would be, in my opinion, Emmanuel Stewart. By that point in time, Eddie Futch was winding down his career. He was spending most of his time training Riddick Bowe. Georgie Benton was uh, helping train Evander Holyfield. So the one guy that didn't have a heavyweight at that time was Emanuel Stewart because Emanuel Stewart did not become Lennox Lewis trainer until 1995. So in 91, 92, Emanuel Stewart training a Felix Savone and then having Savone go up and fight. And Savone beats Michael Mar- the Michael Morris Razor Ruddick's of the world. In my opinion, he beats Mike Tyson when Mike Tyson comes out of prison. Does he beat a young Riddick Bode or Riddick at that beat Evander Holyfield? That's a 50-50 fight. Does he beat Lennox Lewis? I don't think so. Not at the pro rank. But I think... going down the stretch... uh. Savone could eventually become a world champion so that answers your question Jesus about Felix Savone and Teofilo Stevenson now my prediction for Saturday night's third and hopefully final fight between Saul Canelo Alvarez and the the, uh, Triple G Gennady Golovkin Canelo is already in Hall. Both these fighters are already in the Hall of Fame. Both these fighters have nothing left to prove. Um, well, Golovkin does, because Golovkin doesn't have a legit win over a all-time great. Um because the first fight ended in a draw. And pe- people, that was not a robbery. There were several rounds that could have gone either way. A draw is justifiable. Second fight. Canelo won a close decision, and that wasn't a robbery. That fight also could have gone either way because the first half of the fight was dominated by Canelo. Triple G dominated the second half of the fight. Triple G shot. He's got no defense left whatsoever. Canelo defensively is at the best ever in his career. Triple G does not have the style that's going to give Canelo problems. The styles that give Canelo problems are the Floyd Mayweathers and Dimitri Bivol styles, where they move a lot, where they give you angles, and they and they concentrate on a jab. Because Bivol jabbed the fuck out of uh, Canelo. Triple G is an aging slugger. He's a pocket puncher, and he gets hit with everything, and Canelo's going to feast on that body, and I see a ninth round stoppage by Canelo in a dominating win, and in a win that, really doesn't won't prove anything to me it's going to be a, a, a huge pain a for both fighters especially canelo because he's the a side and another win on his ledger and hopefully triple g retires after this because there will be no fourth fight and he's taking an enormous amount of punishment the la- starting with the second canelo fight versus derrick even Uh, Murata in his last fight was landing shots that he normally wouldn't have landed had they fought three, four years earlier. Triple G has no defense left whatsoever, and he will be cannon father for the Mexican Canelo Alvarez, for the legendary Mexican fighter Canelo Alvarez. And now, perfect segue into Canelo's historical overview as i have canelo as my 24th greatest fighter of the last 45 years but before i get into that ladies and gentlemen before i get into that i want to talk about the fight game media podcast on patreon for five dollars a month you get great 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 content on professional wrestling mixed martial arts, and of course, bonus episodes, bonus podcasts done by me. I'm doing the greatest upsets in boxing history. That, um, so far, I've done episodes on Lloyd Hunnigan's shocking upset over Donald Curry. I ran Barkley's shocking upset of Thomas Hearns. Junior Jones' shocking upset of Marco Antonio Barrera. Esteban de Jesus' shocking upset of Roberto Duran, Villamar Fernandez's shocking upset of Alexis Arguello, and last but not least, Frankie Randall's shocking upset of Julio Cesar Chavez. And this month, I'll probably record this next week, I will be doing a Patreon Greatest Upset in Boxing History podcast on Hasim Rockman's shocking upset of Lennox Lewis. Now also on the Patreon feed, on the Patreon Fight Game Media feed. And the link to that Patreon page will be in the description of this podcast. Gary Gonzalez, the CEO of the Fight Game Media uh, Network, and myself are doing a review of each Mike Tyson docudrama on Hulu series. Every episode, each episode. Right now, the first six episodes are out. We do two episodes per ep- per 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 ep- per show, so you have three episodes on a Patreon podcast feed, in which we review all six episodes, we break it down, and we tell you what's factual, what's bullshit, and we give you an on- our honest appraisal of the series. And I'm not going to go into what I think of the series so far. You have to, if you want to hear my thoughts and Garrett's thoughts, $5 per month on the Patreon uh, podcast feed, Fight Game Media. The link is in the description of this podcast. Now, on to my 24th greatest fighter of the last 45 years, Saul Canelo Alvarez. In the history of boxing, there have been fewer boxers whose legacies has been both heralded and derided by both boxing fans, and the media than Saúl Canelo Alvarez. Despite his incredible work ethic and opposition that includes a who's who of many of the greatest fighters of the last decade, Canelo constantly is criticized for choosing who and when he fights. The fact is, choosing who and when to fight has long been the tradition of the top drawing cards in the history of the sport. Canelo is the twenty fourth greatest fighter of the last forty five years, because he has only one he has only one time in his career been completely dominated in a fight. Now make that two times. I wrote this article before he lost at Dimitri Baval. So twice in his career he has been completely dominated in a fight. Canelo, the youngest of seven brothers who all boxed, turned pro in his native Mexico at the young age of fifteen. Trained by the famous Reynoso father and son team, Chepo and Eddie, Canelo won 21 of his first 22 fights in Mexico. The one blemish was a draw that occurred very early in his career. In his 23rd pro fight, he made his American debut on October 24th, 2008 against fringe welterweight contender Larry Mosley in the uh, in the United States at the age of 18. Now, in order he couldn't fight in the United States until he was 18 because throughout the vast majority, 99% of this country, you have to be 18 to box professionally. That's why he spent uh, the ages of 15 to 17 boxing in Mexico. After defeating the KG Mosley via a 10-round decision, Canelo then won his next 12 fights and secured his first ever world title shot on March 5th, 2011. Canelo totally dominated Ricky Hatton's brother Matthew in winning the vacant WBC Super welterweight Super title by 12 round decision. At the age of 20, Canelo began his first of many reigns as a world champion. On April 20th, 2013, in front of over 39,000 fans at the San Antonio Alamo Dome, Canelo won a hard fought 12 round decision against the slick boxer and WBA 154 pound champion, Austin Trout. In defeating Trout, Canelo unified unified both the WBC and WBA 154-pound titles and gained the Ring Magazine's 154-pound title as well. Not only did Canelo's victory over Trout make him a unified world champion, it placed him amongst Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather as the biggest box office attractions in boxing at the time. It also gave him the biggest fight of of his career, which was a matchup against the defensive mastermind, Mayweather. Despite what Canelo defenders and Mayweather detractors have stated, Canelo was not a green fighter going into his blockbuster fight with Floyd on the night of September 14, 2013. Although only 23, Canelo had been a pro for eight years and had defeated several top flight contenders. Mayweather was 36 at the time and had lost a step. What Mayweather did that evening was give Canelo the ultimate boxing lesson. Mayweather shut down Canelo's main weapons, which were his body punching and counter-punching. In what many regard as Mayweather's greatest performance, he completely dominated to win by, and this is a head shaker in itself, a majority decision. Judge C.J. Ross puzzlingly scored the fight a draw. It would be the final fight the incompetent judge would ever score. Floyd showed that night why he was the greatest fighter of this generation. Following his loss to Mayweather and then giving Mexican brawler Alfredo Angulo a brutal one-sided beating, Canelo squared off against another great defensive fighter in the Cuban stylist, Arislandi Lara. On July 12, 2014, Lara gave Canelo hell as Canelo was unable to land his potent left jab. Canelo, however, was able to land several hard shots to Lara's body. In a fight that could have gone either way, Canelo won by a surprisingly one mar- wide margin on the scorecards. Canelo would not be outboxed in such a manner until this year when Dimitri Bivol gave him a thorough, thorough boxing lesson. After the Lara fight, Canelo destroyed middleweight power puncher James Kirkland inside of three rounds in front of over 31,000 fans at Houston's Minute Maid Park. This was a tune-up before fighting WBC and ring 160-pound champion Miguel Cotto. Canelo's constant pressure was too much for the recently inducted Hall of Famer, as Canelo won a comfortable 12-round decision on November 21, 2015, to win his second division world title. After three dominating defenses of his middleweight crown, Canelo would face the the division's boogeyman, Gennady Golovkin. On September 16, 2017, Canelo faced Golovkin to unify the WBA, WBC, and IBF 160-pound titles. Canelo did his best to try and keep the aggressive Triple G off of him, but was unable to keep the fight in the middle of the ring. Canelo spent far too much time on the ropes the first 10 rounds of the fight. Canelo made a huge comeback down the stretch of the fight, which enabled him to escape with a draw. Many Canelo critics and members of the media felt Triple G was robbed, To be honest, Triple G blew the fight by not attacking Canelo's body, went up against the ropes and fading down the stretch. Triple G blew a golden opportunity to make this list of the greatest fighters of the last 45 years by his inability to close the show against Canelo. Now, real quick, since we are on the topic of the Triple G Canelo third uh, fight number three that will happen this weekend, Triple G did not make my 45 greatest fighter of the last 45 years why because he never defeated convincingly an elite all-time great fighter had he won that fight the first fight against Canelo he would have been added to my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years he's lost he, he, he had a draw lost the rematch and has declined severely since both these first two fights Canelo and Triple G's May 2018 rematch was postponed because of Canelo testing positive for the banned substance clenbuterol clenbuterol. instead the rematch took place on September 15th 2018 Canelo shocked me that night he came roaring out the gate and took the fight to Triple G in a complete 12 round war in which both men landed nuclear bombs that didn't phase each other Canelo deservedly won a very close unanimous decision to secure the single biggest win of his career after a brutal 11th round knockout of WBO WBL light heavyweight champion Sergei Kovalev, Canelo focused his efforts on becoming the very first undisputed 168-pound world champion. In an 11th month period from December 20th to November 2021, Canelo accomplished his goal by thoroughly battering Callum Smith, Billy Joe Saunders, and Caleb Plant. After his 11th round systematic stoppage of Plant, Canelo has decided that his next goal was to win a world title again at light heavyweight which he was not successful he lost to Dimitri Bivol. regardless of that loss to Canello Canelo's already firmly entrenched as the 24th greatest fighter of the last 45 years with a record of 57 wins two losses two draws with 39 knockouts Canelo can only rise in the rankings of the all-time greats as he is only 31 years old and is at his ultimate fighting prowess Ladies and gentlemen, any questions, ask Robs hashtag ask Rob Silva on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, Robert Silva, five, seven, six, eight. Until next week, enjoy the Canelo Triple G third fight and be blessed and be a blessing. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich.